Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher. Here in Las Vegas, where I belong, uh, I'm very, very excited. All this weekend, I'm going to be playing at the Win. There's a big $1,100 Win Signature Series event that I'm excited to play, and uh, there should be some good cash games along with that. Of course, next week I'll be at Brad Garrett's Comedy Club. You can get tickets bradgarrettcomedy.com January 27th through February 2nd, which is Super Bowl Sunday. And also the last day, by the way, that the Hard Rock Hotel will exist in Vegas as we know it. That's right. They are blowing up that particular venue. <laughs> I don't think they're actually blowing it up, but apparently Virgin Entertainment bought it. And so we'll see what happens with that. But this podcast is not about Vegas hotels. It's not even a Vegas podcast. This is a tournament poker podcast. And I have something I want to talk about, which is the squeeze. Now, I'm not talking about when you're like in the blinds with a deep stack and somebody raises and somebody calls and then you put in a big raise to try to take it down. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when several players have entered a pot, it's worth it to do what I call the big squeeze and shove, laying a price that is designed to increase your stack by a large percentage if you're not called. And hopefully you have some type of hand in the event that you are called. So we're going to be talking about that for sure. Before we get to it, though, I want to thank those of you who have left a review for us, either on iTunes or Stitcher or Podbean or wherever else you happen to download your podcasts. As the reviews improve, our visibility improves along with it. So uh, one of the best ways you can say thank you to Tournament Poker Edge for funding this podcast and basically paying me to <laughs> give it to you every week is to leave us a review. You know, tell them, tell everybody out there that you enjoy the content, you like listening to me talk through hands, you like our guests, whatever it is. When you give us a good review, it helps us become more visible in the podcast world. Now, the poker podcasting world is pretty crowded right now. Poker News has its own podcast. Daniel Negreanu is regularly on a podcast. Uh, Joey Ingram, other people that are way more famous in poker than I am, have poker podcasts. So if someone is, say, for example, on an Android phone and, and he or she goes on to Stitcher and types in a search for poker the most downloaded and most popular and highest rated 
poker podcast will pop up first. So all I'm asking is if you want to just take a moment and leave us a review, give us a good rating. Hopefully, if you enjoy the podcast, you'll give us a good rating. Uh, If you don't enjoy the podcast, please just don't listen to it anymore, but don't give us a bad rating (laughs) because that's going to really hurt our chances of becoming more visible. We want more downloads. We want more ears. And obviously that's something that would mean a lot to me as the host, something that would mean a lot to the company, Tournament Poker Edge. So please do that if you haven't done so already. For those of you who have, Thank you. I appreciate it. I love reading the reviews. It's greatly, greatly appreciated. More than you probably even realize. So that's a small thing you can do for free that will really, really help. So please do that. So let's talk about squeezing. This is a hand that I played in the Win Signature Series $400 buy-in with two starting days and a $100,000 guarantee about three hours into day 1b my 20,000 stack has dwindled down to 13,000 let me tell you guys a little bit about my table we are seven-handed and several of the players at the table are trying to see every flop there's been a lot of Uh, somebody makes a small to medium-sized raise and then gets three or four callers and they all see the flop with, I would say, generally speaking, below average hands. So people don't really seem to be concerned with ranges and stack sizes and things of that nature. It's really much more about trying to see as many flops as possible. So it's been a pretty loose table up to this point. Now that's not to say that if it goes raise, 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 everybody's going to call. It's not that kind of crazy, we don't care type of table. It's just more of a we came here to play and not to fold kind of vibe. So things haven't really been going well for me. Uh, The blinds are 200-400 with a 400 big blind ante. So there's already 1,000 in the pot and I only have 13,000 in my stack. So my M is 13. You could also say I have more than 30 big blinds. 32 and a half big blinds if you want to be exact. So anyway, uh, it's seven-handed because... They are doing some table balancing. It's supposed to be nine-handed, but uh, for the last several minutes, we've been playing a little bit short. There is a girl in seat two, probably 23 or 24 years old, a quiet Asian girl who has been pretty much opening each and every time she can. So she opens in second position to 1100 which has been the standard opening raise size at this table. And she has about 25,000 behind and she gets four callers. Now, none of these players are world beaters. There is a player on my left. I'm in the small blind. There is a player on my left who uh, seems to know what he's doing. He's got a European accent and he might be German. 
young guy with a very nice haircut. Um, and he's definitely the best player at my table. Um, assuming I'm not the best player at my table. Um, but there's basically this German, I'm going to call him German. There's basically this German guy and me. And then the other five players are all pretty much uh, wild and loose. Now, I'm in the big blind, actually. My mistake. I was actually in the big blind in this hand. And, yeah, this is right. I, I actually played this hand today, so I should be able to remember it. The German guy actually folded under the gun. The Asian girl raised... Yeah, that makes sense. The Asian girl raised in second position. And then everybody called. Call, call, call. Call. So there is now 6,500 in the middle. And I only have... 13,000 in my stack. I think shoving here with any two cards is probably a profitable play. Uh, let's think about it, guys. I have 13,000. There's 6,500 in the middle. So if my shove takes it down, I will increase my stack by 50%. Also, the average stack at this point in the tournament is close to 40,000, and we only have 13,000. So our winning chances at this point aren't that good, but that's no reason to just push and pray. I think shoving here with any two cards is probably profitable. This play would need to get everyone out 66% of the time. If you think about it, we can do the math really quickly. Uh, assuming that I never win when I'm called, which we know can't be true because you're never drawing dead before the flop, but let's assume for a second that Every time I'm, call, I'm called, I will lose the pot. Let's take the example of three instances of doing this. One time I shove 13,000 and win 6,500. Another time I shove 13,000 and win 6,500. The third time I shove 13,000 and lose. It breaks even if it works 66% of the time. Two out of three, right? But guys, we're going to win sometimes when we get called. And it's hard to quantify what that is. It will actually depend a lot on... Well, we know that the uh, original Razor is opening with a very wide range. So her range is very hard to define. But I would say it's somewhere around 60 to 70% of all possible starting hands. And then the callers each of whom successively has an increasingly enticing incentive to three bet, none of them choose to do that. Now, of course, there could be a slow play somewhere along the line. That's not completely out of the question. But generally speaking, people nowadays do three bet to punish the player who opens too wide, right? And also to try to isolate that player get heads up in position, yada, yada, yada. So all of these players that called had a chance to do that and decline. So the chance that they have a hand that they're willing to call not only her original 1,100 raise, but also my 13,000 shove with is pretty slim. I'm mostly worried about the first two. The Asian girl herself, just because she's been playing a lot of hands doesn't mean she doesn't have one now. And maybe the very first caller. 
All of these players have stacks around 25 to 30K, so nobody's crushing it, but also no one's desperate enough to just have to call it off. Now, registration is still open, and this tournament does allow for unlimited re-entry up until level 8. I think this hand was in level 5, I think. So what you need to figure out, what we need to figure out together is what are their ranges. It's hard to say, but I don't think anyone will often have a monster in this situation. So, not that it really much matters, but I actually have a hand. And my hand is Ace-10 offsuit. So, I can of course call 700 more and see the flop here with my Ace-10 and then play that hand from out of position against all five of these opponents. What do I want to flop with this hand against all these players? I think that with Ace-10 suited, it, it's more defensible to just call. I think shoving, hoping to win the pot, take it down right now and win 6,500, increasing my stack by 50% immediately is really what we would prefer. But there's also the chance that we could get called and still win the pot. We probably have to suck out. But some of those hands don't have great equity against us. We might get action from pocket eights, pocket sevens, hands like that. Even against tens, jacks, queens, and kings, we have 30% equity. So putting all that together, I like the decision I made, which was to go ahead and push all of it in there. It was just too much in the middle for me to just call and see a flop, which I'm usually going to have to check and fold, or worse yet, flop some kind of piece and then start getting committed to a pot against all these opponents. It's just a lot can go wrong when I just call. Of course, some things can go wrong when I shove as well. For example, the original Razor could have a hand or one of the callers, most likely the first caller, has a hand. Now, why do I say that? Well, many of us, and I say us because I'm kind of like this, don't like to three bet from early position too often. Uh, it's generally too revealing. Like, for example, if a tightish player opens from under the gun and I'm in second position with a three betting hand from that position, like my range for three betting there should be really, really tight. So if I three bet, I'm pretty much announcing to the table that I have essentially a top six top seven hand. I mean, I can try to mix up my three betting range from second position, but really that's a very hard range for me to construct because I don't want to be playing weak hands from early position against a reasonable first position opening range. So to avoid always revealing the strength of my hand when I have a strong hand in second position, I like to just generally call. I'm, of course, I'll three bet sometimes. You have to mix it up. But I'm probably about 80% calling with the range that I'm continuing there. So that makes it much harder for players who don't know me well to read that my call is very strong when it's an under-the-gun raise and then I flat. They might think that I'm speculating with something like pocket fives or a suited connector. But really... I don't generally have those hands unless we're really, really deep and I can stand pressure behind me.
So instead, I'm going to have a strong range for calling there. Of course, mixing in a few other hands once in a while just to keep it balanced. But typically, I'm going to be just flatting my continuing range, which is a tight range. Occasionally, someone will wake up behind me with a three-betting hand, and sometimes people will try to exploit and sandwich me with a three-bet from late position, and because my range is so tight to begin with, I welcome that type of action. So I'm a little bit worried about the first caller for that reason. I think a lot of people have figured out that you don't want to just announce to the table you have a really big hand, and it's really hard to construct a three-betting range that isn't very strong and to have enough bluffs to be truly balanced. So one way to solve that problem is just to not have a three-betting range from early position. So I don't know this guy that well. I've only been playing with him for a couple of hours here, but I am a little concerned about him. I'm not concerned about the subsequent callers because I think they had such a strong incentive to three-bet and they chose not to anyway. So I shove, and the original razor folds. The original caller goes all in, and everybody else gets out of his way. And then he shows me the bad news. He's got two queens. So we knew this could happen, but hey, like I said, we have a 30% chance of winning this big, well, it's now a big pot that's really going to change my position in this tournament because I can double my 13,000 if I happen to get lucky. Plus, there was already the 6,500 in the middle. So I'm going to have almost an average stack if we can just find a way to beat pocket queens with ace 10. Now, again, this is not what we were looking to do, but this is the situation we're in. So now we have to pray to the poker gods. And the flop comes 10, 9, 4 with two spades, and we have the ace of spades. And we're all in, so it's just results now. But the turn was an ace, giving me top two pair and vaulting me into the lead in the hand. And then the queen on the river busted me out of this event. So that was a big squeeze, as I like to call it, that did not work out. Uh, that Obviously, that's the risk you take. As I mentioned, registration was still open. I did consider jumping right back into this tournament. It seems like a good soft field. The rake is reasonable. But, you know, I just decided that under the circumstances, I'm a little jet lagged from my trip out here and I have a lot more poker to play this weekend. So I decided to just call it a day and not risk possibly being on tilt and not realizing it. I mean, I don't think that I tilt when I bust out of a $400 tournament. But you never really know what's going on deep within in your psyche. I felt a little tired. I mentioned a few weeks ago that I'm going to start playing fewer uh, uh, re-entries. Or not that I'm going to play fewer re-entries, but that I won't be re-entering as much. And not that I was re-entering a lot before, but I'm even going to cut back on the small amount of re-entering that I've been doing. I think there's more value in just living to fight another day. And uh, that's what I did today. So that was the most interesting hand I played. Unfortunately, my stack had dwindled from 20,000 to 13,000, mostly from 
just raising with strong hands and then having to check fold the flop or whatever. Uh, so nothing really else to talk about as far as my big squeeze, but I do have another big squeeze that I want to mention. All right, this hand comes from the main event and it's perfect because it's right in line with the hands that we've been discussing in basically chronological order. So it's fairly late on day six and there are 71 players remaining in the tournament. So I guess it's not that late. It's probably actually before dinner if I think about it. Uh, the blinds are 60,000 and 120,000 with, of course, a 120,000 big blind ante. So let me do the action in this hand, and I, I guess it's already been spoiled. Spoiler alert, there's going to be a big squeeze, but let's talk through the hand, and I will only tell you one player's whole cards. So Stephen O raises under the gun to 300,000, blinds at 60 and 120. He makes it 300,000 under the gun at a full table, and Stephen has five and a half million chips behind. Alex Foxen, a very well-known, decorated, established pro, uh, number one on the GPI list, player of the year, whatever, uh, he calls in second position. So I haven't revealed any hands yet. Uh, and Alex has about the same five and a half million behind. Next in the low jack, Nicholas Danius calls with 3.6 million behind. Now, he's pretty short-stacked. He's got 30 big blinds. His M is 12. And then from there, it folds all the way to the big blind. And Tomer Pidun of Germany, with 2.6 million in his stack, and holding Queen-9 offsuit, decides to shove. So let's talk about this play. First of all, Padoon had the opportunity, the option, I guess, of just calling another 180,000 and seeing a flop with Queen-9, uh, which I think is the play that probably 99% of us would have done in this situation. Uh, he's really, really priced in between the medium-sized raise and then all the callers and the fact that he's already in for 120. I think it's kind of ridiculous to fold getting something like eight to one on a call and a hand as strong as queen nine just can't be folded in this spot. I don't know how many of us would have made the decision to shove, but let's look at the math behind it. Padoon is putting in 2.6 million chips to win a pot that already has 1.2 million in it. So his shove is a little more than twice the pot, just barely over two times the pot. So similar math to the previous hand. I mean, obviously when you make this play, you don't want to be called. <laughs> I mean, you're not looking for action when you have queen nine. But there does come a point where shoving with any two cards is profitable. Now, obviously, this play only works with a relatively short stack. So Padoon... Again, he has 2.6 million, and there's already 300,000 
in the pot before the hand even starts. So his M is right below nine. So this is the kind of stack you want to have when you make a play like this in the 20 to 25 big blind range. It's a little bit scary that there was an under the gun raise and then a second position call, which is why I actually, at the end of the day, don't like this play. Uh, results are that all the players folded and he picked up this 1.2 million pot, increasing his stack by 45% with 71 players remaining in the World Series main event. So it worked out for him. But I think generally speaking, Stephen O's under the gun raising range and Alex Foxen's flat calling range, as we just talked about, when you flat from second position, you could have a very, very, very strong hand. I know for me, I never raise in that spot, as I already said. So it's a bit reckless for me, but it's definitely a defensible play, and not only because it worked. It's defensible because with an M of 9, we need to try to start finding spots to make something happen. You can't really sit back and wait when you have that kind of stack. So that's one point. And another point is... Adding 1.2 million to this stack is going to make a huge difference. After this hand, he w went from uh, the short stack at the table to fifth in chips at a nine-handed table just by going from 2.6 to, to 3.8 million with this play. So all of these things combined make this a highly unusual spot. And something that, with good timing, all of us can start to incorporate into our games. But make sure the situation calls for it and that you're willing to die <laughs> in the name of trying to fight your way back into real contention for the top prize of $10 million, as it was this year. Uh, so, yeah, even though I don't, I don't think I would have made the play because of the under-the-gun raise, and the flat call from a great player in second position. Uh, I do think it's defensible because there's just so much out there, sitting out there, and if he can pick it up, he's going to be in much better shape. So that'll do it for this episode. Really want to thank you guys again for all the love. I love your tweets, at Clayton Comic. Find me in the uh, podcast section of the TPE forums. We have our very own area. Uh, I'm also scouring the forums for future hands. Well, hands for future podcasts, I should say. So if you're a TPE member and you are not actively posting your hands in the forums, please start doing so because I want to start talking about more members' hands on this podcast. So for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you all so much for listening.
Everybody, everybody, no, she can't read a mouth. Oh, the 